This week on No Coast Cinema, we welcome the executive director of the Midwest Independent Film Festival, Amy Guth, to talk a little bit about the upcoming Female Filmmakers Night, as well as her involvement with the 48-hour film project, plus the first edition of the No Coast Border Review, where we look at the films of July and decide what kind of month we had in cinema. Roll sound. Committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, well, she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGN+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And as always, we're very excited to have you back for another fantastic week of Chicago film conversation. Connor, back again in Studio A here at 303 East Wacker. Beautiful view, as always. Oh my God, is it gorgeous. Oh, man. You can see the Ferris wheel. You can see the river. And it's a good day for it. Um... Got a lot of stuff on the show today, a lot of stuff to cover. I know. I know. Busy week in the uh, world of film. We're at the end of July. We're getting close to the end of the summer film season, I suppose. Um, Lots of stuff coming out this week, lots of stuff coming out this month that we've loved and not so much loved, so we definitely want to tackle that. Uh, Plus, we have uh, the privilege, the distinct privilege of having a newcomer, not so much a newcomer. She's been around on the Chicago film scene for a little while in different roles, but uh, she has recently taken top spot at the Midwest Independent Film Festival. Amy Guth, uh, she's going to be talking with us. So let's let's not even uh, mince words here. Yeah. Let's uh, welcome both of our guests today. Amy Guth, executive director of the Midwest Independent Film Festival. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. And Matt Cipolla, also a friend of the show. He is a film critic for hire. He does uh, writing for Film Monthly over on the internet. The what, place. What? what, what uh, the, the, uh, yeah. 19, you know, 1995, they connected right. all computers. Okay, okay. So that and that's where he read. is. Yeah, that's where he lives. Oh, okay. He came here from the internet. Matt Sapola, wow. welcome back. Yay, thanks for having me. For the first time in, fle- in the flesh. In the yeah, flesh. I'm not on a phone this time. I, I know. Don't... The call quality is great. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and those constitutes are uh, bored for yeah. the uh, board of review. Yes. So, um, but we want to start out with a little bit of news because, uh, as you know, if you listen to the show, we love to cover a lot of the business side of things. And the big talk for business and film has been movie pass and this idea of a flat rate subscription for watching movies that's not streaming like literally going to the theater on a on a subscription and it's been kind of a game changer in a lot of ways been getting a lot of people to go to the movies um in a way you know at times you know in uh, a sort of repetition you would never really expect right because you're only paying 10 bucks a month and they're just their price seems to be dropping by the week yeah but 
of course the news that we just found out you know that's, yeah uh, the, there's been there's been over the last few weeks last few months really there's been different twists and turns in the story of movie pass uh they introduced a uber like surge pricing for really right. popular films um they've had changes in certain pricing where they would only let you buy you know do a three-month subscription sort of promise for a while and they've just been trying to figure out how they're going to get money all together to actually pay for the movies but uh recently the money ran out yes so uh movie pass experienced an outage recently uh because they basically ran out of money to pay movie theaters <laughs> so people could go see a movie and that that ended up in them kind of borrowing a pretty hefty sum from yeah. a hedge fund. Yes. So according to Business Insider, uh, MoviePass, and more specifically their parent company, Helios and Matheson Analytics, had to borrow $5 million in cash following a quote-unquote service interruption on Thursday because the company was unable to make certain required payments, and those payments being to the theaters themselves. So they had to go over to a hedge fund and uh, make a demand note, and that total demand note was for six point two million. Now, I'm not a business person; I don't really know a lot of the jargon, so I'm just going to read it as is. Right. Uh, so that six point two million demand note included five million in cash, and that's borrowed by the company from the holder, and one point two million of original issue discount. Um, Amy, you also host the the business lunch. Are you able to help us make sense of that? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's just been so interesting to follow the MoviePass business story because it's like, I think at first everybody was like, wow, this is so awesome. What a great thing. And it just keeps punching people in the throat, right? Things just keep happening with it. And this outage, I think so many people, I, I always look at the pulse of things on social media to see kind of what the anecdotal narrative is, right? And so many people are like, you know what? That's it. I've been patient. I have like tolerated your rollbacks, but that one is just too far. I remember the like when I was with my friend when she first told me about. It, she's like, "I got this movie pass thing. Let's go see this movie." So we go, and she just like swipes, and it looks very like, "Oh well, I just I had to get a debit card out. Wow, what are you doing? <laughs> this is real fancy. What you're doing." And, and, you know, it seemed, and she was like going on and on about like how it would just make her life so much better because she's a filmmaker. She, you know, is seeing a lot of films herself. And then it just kind of kept kicking her and kept pulling back and kept pulling back. So I think this, this one is going to, is going to cost them a lot with, as far as like brand equity. I think a lot of people are going to be kind of like, you know what? Can we just, can, can we not? So the CEO, Mitch Lowe, issued a statement, um, that, you know, it, it's the standard CEO kind of statement. Like, we value you, customer. Sure, right. Continue to give us your cash, and we really <laughs> screwed up. Please allow us the opportunity to make it right. Like, it's that kind of, you know, that kind of vibe to it. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I cringed for them at that point, because I was like, you can't have two big snafus that that close together and expect people to be, you know, loyal to you and expect people to trust you. I think it takes a lot to come back from something like that. So we shall see. And the CEO, uh, a couple of months back when they started, when they dropped their price originally, the CEO said that their company wouldn't be profitable until 2019, which was in regards to 
people were sort of skeptical about why they were dropping their price so much because it doesn't seem like a like a profitable venture at all. Mm-hmm. But now that this has happened, are people going to be able to wait around for a full year before they're going to be able to trust that this thing, this product, is going to be reliable for them? I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Well, yes, a movie like a company like Movie Pass operates especially when you have that massive price drop it has to operate on faith alone faith that this product is going to work um at least you know 95 percent of the time sometimes things happen there's server glitches whatever because you're dealing with a tech product like that but if you don't have faith that that movie pass is going to work then what's the point of even having it especially with that projection of being profitable in 2019 that's based off of the assumption that they were going to bring in so many movie subscribers, movie pass subscribers, that it would eventually beat out the average price of a movie ticket in the United States of America, which is about $9. So obviously we know that movies here in the city of Chicago are much more expensive, getting closer to the 12, 15, 12 13, 14, 15 mark. Um, New York is going to be really expensive. LA, that keeps that average high. But in other places around America, it's not terrible. You're reaching maybe like like eight or nine dollar mark bring so it averages out to about nine dollars so if that um subscriber base doesn't beat out doesn't mitigate that cost of the average then they're losing money every time now they expected to lose money they were going off that kind of loss leader mentality but if they keep losing customers because the customers don't have faith in the product anymore then they'll never have the large enough base. They tried to fix that with their surge pricing and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know how much that's actually going to do anything. Uh, Matt, I wanted to ask you, being a film critic, you see a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use MoviePass or how do, you, uh, how do you go out to the movies? Is that part of your own personal cost as a, as a critic? Yeah, I use it all the time. But the thing is, I when I first found out about it, it was April or May 2016. And that was back when it was still $50 a month, and someone mm-hmm. told me about it, and I thought it was bullshit, because it was too good to be true, and also it had a generic name like Movie Pass. so I was mm-hmm. like, this is a money laundering scheme. <laughs> and I looked into it, and I was like, okay, this is legit. So I tried it out for a month, and I saw like 25 movies in a month of June 2016, uh, and then I canceled it, because I had to study abroad, and I sure. like just I couldn't use it. Um, and then I went back to it when I got back to the U.S., and I've been using it ever since. And I've had my share of hiccups, but none of them were as tragic as when they just complete plunged the prices. When they plunged the price in August 2017, and then they went from 20000 to a million in a matter of a week or so, um, it was just a disaster. And I couldn't – because their customer service is a train wreck. And I yeah. like as of lately, they've gotten a little bit better with it. But it's. I remember there was one time where um, I got a, a like a three month gift card subscription to Movie Pass for Christmas, and so I had that, and then that ran out. And then I s- messaged them and I said, "Hey, I want to transfer this to a monthly subscription." And they said, "Sure, fine. Uh, just keep your card, and we'll change your account for it." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And then it worked for another five months or so, and then it just stopped working, and they never got back to me because they had a million customers to take care of. Um, and then for the entire month of September and then bleeding into October 2017, I just couldn't use it. So I kept a tally of everything I had to pay out of pocket. And mm-hmm. I kept harassing them with their customer service thing. Um, and then they finally got back to me and they're like, oh, well, you had two cards on your account. So we didn't know which one to charge. So it just didn't charge either of them. So it both got, they both got declined. And I was like, <laughs> but it worked. 
until that point. So I'm clearly like, you knew at some point. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, you know, yeah. And, but the thing is like, there are definitely times where it craps out on me, but the thing is it only, I only, it only has to work once every month for it to pay for itself. That's right. true. So it's such a low standard to have to reach that even if I get pissed off with it, it just has to work once for it to be worth my time and money. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have much of an issue with it. I'm going to stick with it until it totally crashes and burns, and then there are other alternatives. Like, AMC has their thing. That I'm not going to lie to you. That AMC Stubbs A-list sounds pretty sweet. Like, you get your premium format with that. You get your... I mean, I don't see anything in 3D, but the, the option, like, if I want to see Mission Impossible 6 and Dolby, Atm- you know, Mega Atmos, you know, the Dolby Cinema, yeah. hell yeah, I'm going to do that, especially if I'm paying 20 bucks a month is... It's, I think it's pretty reasonable. Like, and plus, you get all the other stubs, uh, rewards, things. Like, you get your upgrades, you get your rewards dollars, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and it's like I don't have a problem. Like, I didn't have a problem when it was fifty dollars a month because if I, I let's see, if I think about, I've used this movie pass like maybe a hundred fifty times minimum, so I've saved well over a thousand dollars. Oh my god! So I mean. <laughs> I can't complain, even if it sucks at times. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's funny to watch people just comment on the trash fire that is Movie Pass, um, and I think it's also kind of funny whenever you see them get really desperate and try to plug other movies. Like they'll have, you'll get push notifications saying, "Please see this, please see Gotti," and <laughs> oh. then you see Gotti, and you're like, "I'm never using your subscription <laughs> no. ever again." <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's fascinating. It's like, it's like, I don't know, it reminds me of that episode of The Office where Michael Scott promises all those inner city kids college tuition. Oh, God. And then they all expect to go to college and be the first (laughs) in their family to go to college, but then they can't. And then he has to tell a bunch of impoverished youth that he can't do anything for them. It's like that. I, I mean, that's the white that bad. But. I don't know. I don't know, man. That is the People one. Episode. Like it's that bad. That's the thing. That's the one episode of The Office that I actually skip every time I watch that series. Yeah. I refuse to watch it again. It's just too much. Um, I want to throw it out to everybody. Is is this subscription model though? You know, Movie Pass may be. You know, I'm. You know, it could be on its way out. It could bounce back somehow or something like that. Regain the public trust. Who knows. But is the subscription model like it was for streaming services, like it, it like uh, Netflix and all that kind of stuff, music as well. We, you have Kindle Unlimited. You could read as many of these books as you want. Uh, is the all-you-can-eat model going to fit the theater-going experience? I think that it's really interesting because I, obviously people's uh, attendance at, at cinemas have been going down for the last couple of years. And I think that this is a perfect thing to get people sort of reinterested in going out and having that experience, that like in-person experience where you're not sitting on your couch, you're going out and letting a company curate an experience for you. I don't know if it's... I think it fits in, but I also I think it's like separate. I don't think that it's it's not like integrating with the it's not like the streaming move of the cinema you know what i'm saying yeah i get i get what you're saying it's not it's not necessarily the same idea but um getting people i mean that's the big thing that i really like about it it gets people to actually go out and see a movie and um maybe get people to see something they would have never seen before maybe someone went to go see eighth grade this week yeah because they knew that they were going to get it get it like as part of their subscription that's already been paid for so they ostensibly saw it for free 
So, you know, as as more and more independent film gets out there and gets prestige, when you have uh, companies like A24 getting more and more, you know, stand, regular public um, attention, maybe MoviePass is going to get people more into that side of cinema, and then they'll we'll see a resurgence of people in the actual theaters. Um, so we'll just get, continue to keep watching it as we have done for the last year or so, ever since they dropped those prices, right? Because it's just been uh, a fascinating exercise in what gets people to go see a movie. Uh, I want to jump over to Amy and let's talk about uh, one. Congratulations on becoming the executive director of the Midwest Independent Film Festival. It is fantastic news. Um, I can't think of anybody else better for the job. Thank you. And uh, I also really want to talk about Female Filmmakers Night on August 7th. As do I. Uh, so this is, an, this is an annual event and is presented by the Film Festival and Canon. Uh, and so it's going to be on Tuesday, August 7th. And you really don't want to miss it. Tell us a little bit about what this event is all about. So this is an annual event, as you said, that is really celebrating female identifying filmmakers in the Midwest, which is such a wonderful thing. Like not many things like that exist. So it's so fun to, to really celebrate women behind the camera, women producers, women, like all the things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting because as submissions come into the festival, you kind of get a pulse on things like where are people, where are people at right now? And and I and I've been to the event for a couple of years just as an audience member, so it's really cool to be on this side of it. Um, and each year, you know, themes emerge and there's a vibe to every year. And this year, I think as we're at the moment that we're in with the Me Too and Times Up movement, where it is suddenly. A very different space in which to talk about anger and body bodily autonomy and and just all these issues that suddenly were kind of talked about quietly among only women to each other for a long time suddenly a lot of people are talking about these things in really profound and meaningful ways and that's as with anything in any social moment that we're in that's really reflected in a lot of the films so there's a big variety of things it was extremely difficult to um, get the program narrowed. And so we're going to be announcing that here in just a couple of days, which is very exciting. Um, But one thing that we've added to it this year that is really something I'm very excited about is that we're doing a jury prize for the first time ever. So we convened uh, a jury of really influential women that are working in the Chicago film industry in a lot of different capacities. And, um, we we got together, we talked, we talked a lot about, you know, what is the context of this film? Is this a uniquely female storytelling, you know, experience? Is that what is this? And we, we talked, it was a lovely evening, because we talked so much about what, what each film meant, and what the elements of so many of the films meant. And uh, there will be a jury prize presented to one of the filmmakers this year. And the honorary jury chair is Chaz Ebert. And so she will be making that presentation. And so we just announced that yesterday. And that's, I'm super excited about that. She, uh, you know, she was, she, I didn't have to beg too much to get her to no. do it. So um, she, she agreed to do that. And I'm, I'm really thrilled to have her there that night. So it'll be kind of um, business as usual with our first Tuesday events for that night. It'll be uh, it'll start at six. There'll be the cocktail reception there at the Landmark Century Cinema at twenty eight twenty eight North Clark, and then about six thirty we'll have the producer panel and have a little conversation up front, and then we'll start the screening. And then after that, that's when we'll have a Q and A with with all the filmmakers, and then um, 
we will present that jury award, and it's and and then of course there's an after party. There's always an as, after party, as right. you do, and, yeah. as one does, right? Um, so that'll be happening, and and you know there's just so many elements of that, and and as I was screening them myself and going through that list, and you know we we use. Um, you know, there's there's screening tools that we use where you, you know, go in and you rate and we have a screening committee and I'm looking at all the things that were the top rated things, you know, to make the program official and all of that. I was so moved and touched by I was sitting there and I was just so like filled with joy and pride for the Midwest because I was just seeing all of these amazing things that it was like, I mean, from a variety of, of ages and experience levels. I mean, there it, there is you don't necessarily have to have made your third film to make that one great like you don't some of them were first-time filmmakers some of them it was their 12th some of the I mean some of them it would be the premiere some of it had they had played all over the world already I mean it was it was totally a mixed bag of things and I was sitting there watching film after film and I was just so just kind of proud of everybody and excited for everybody of all the things happening right here in the Midwest and so then to get that jury together of of women working in the industry and doing really, really important work and in so many different capacities. It was just a, it's really, that's a really meaningful one to me. And I think right now it's really, uh, you know, it's really important to be having conversations out in public and, and really important to be recognizing what a vibrant artistic community says, you know, what the social commentary is through art. And I think that's, that's really important right now. Yeah. I did want to ask about that because, you know, we've, we see a lot of films coming up from the Midwest, Chicago, but also all around. Uh, what is it about the Midwest you think that provides such a fertile ground for these filmmakers to come up and have their voices heard and experiment with different things and get these films made? Well, I mean, I think that's a really complex answer and I should probably just like sit down and write the book about that because (laughs) I'm fascinated by it. I mean, I think there's like the the ghost of it is here, right? Because before Hollywood was in Hollywood, Hollywood was in Chicago and it was a labor dispute that moved it to California. It was a matter of of, uh, labor and payment and wages that made people go, you know what? Screw you. We're going to go here where we can shoot year round and it's pretty and there's mountains and the weather's better. Suck it. We're out. And that's what made Hollywood move. And so I think there's already like the ghost of it here. But I think the Midwest in general is it's just like it's like people that are all talk don't make it here right it's mm-hmm. a place where you have to do it you right. can't just say hey man i'm going to do this thing and it's going to be right no shut up and do the work and and i think that vibe plays so well in a creative community because then you just have to you just got to do the work when i first moved to chicago I had been in New York for a couple of years and I was really struck by while it is competitive here as it is anywhere, it's a very different kind of competitive and, and there's there are rivalries here and there, but for the most part, people we all want each other to win. And I think that carries into that community that filmmakers help each other. If you watch if you sit down and watch a bunch of independent films made in Chicago, you're going to see a lot of the same people appearing. Oh, this guy directed this, but then he was like, like he was like AD on this one and he was this on this one. And, you know, there's a lot of interaction and a lot of people wearing different hats. And I think that's really exciting. And that's very cool with the, you know, infusion of the big shows from Dick Wolf that are filming here, it made it possible to have, uh, you know, to have a sustainable career here and people were getting work. And it's always, uh, you know, hurt me a little bit when when people do all this awesome work here, and then, 
and then they get poached by New York and LA, right? Yeah. right? And, that, and, and that's great for them. And I know so many people that are so well-deserving that that's happened to. And then when they go and like, they're doing a big commercial and making a zillion dollars. I'm like, I used to be that guy's neighbor. Now yeah. he doesn't. He's not even. My I remember Facebook when he friend. used to shoot like Super Eight in the backyard of his dog. Right. You know? He was like, like, Can you please be an extra in this scene and just stand there for four hours in the backyard and pretend to drink beer or whatever? Right. <laughs> and now you, it's exciting when our friends are successful. It's great. But I think you know my goal is I want to strengthen and fortify the Midwest creative community and make sure that people can do the work. That that they want to do here creatively. And that's, of course, very hard under capitalism and all that yeah. stuff. But I think there's things we can do to help each other, even under capitalism, mm-hmm. to make it a lot more sustainable and make the community just just work a little bit better. And I think a lot of that is about visibility and about what we're doing to support each other. And that sometimes that's as simple as just showing up for each other. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And let's with the, with the female filmmakers night, you know, it's... Important, you know. I, I I hate when people do the the old question. It's like, what's it like to be a girl in film? Because it's like f- women have been in film from literally right. day one. Yeah. Some of the earliest pioneers of film are women. It's just that the credit got taken away and thrown to somebody else. But by by having an event like this and staking a claim, you mentioned, you know, we're in we're in a me too and times up world which is great because we're challenging power structures and challenging old ideals of how this is supposed to work the whole sleep your way to the top thing is being shot in the face like a lame horse um (laughs) is that how they do that yeah i'm sorry i have to be aggressive i I have to be aggressive about this because i think people are getting more aggressive about it and an event like this really stakes a claim um what what has been the reaction of the filmmakers that you've brought in and the people who i mean you've been to this event before as both an audience member and now behind the scenes what's the energy like having this female focus this female identifying focus event well you know my my the very first time i attended the festival it was because i was on a panel for female filmmaker night which was kind of cool um So it's got this sort of special place in my heart anyway. Um, But, you know, what I love about this festival is that at Female Filmmaker Night, it's not just women in the audience. Like, it's everybody, the film community shows up. And I think that speaks to the space that this festival has set. Because at the producer panel that happens before every screening every month of the first Tuesday events, I love when I hear a beginner filmmaker ask a question to to gain more knowledge without prefacing it with this might be a stupid question but and i think that really just is a testament to you know the space set for of inclusiveness and here everybody's welcome and and let's just come as we are and do our thing and the fact that there's so many different genres of film attached to uh you know submitted for for female filmmaker night it's and it's none of them none of them are really about being female they're just stories told from a, a woman's point of view um someone asked me do they all pass the Bechdel test they do like all the yeah all the films that like made the 
you know, the semifinals as we were making the, you know, the, the programming for that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they all they do all pass the Bechtel test for sure, because none of them are about, you know, we think about I think the same thing happened in publishing, right? When we, we think about like a female novelist, the, the question every time around writers is like, OK, what are people asking you in interviews that really infuriate you right now? It's always like, is this book chiclet? Mm-hmm. And if it's not chiclet, then, oh, it, it must be autobiographical. Like, no, I can just I can write a dangerous, weird little book and it doesn't have to be about me or my heart. It can be about anything because, in fact, P.S., I'm multidimensional as a human being and I'm about lots of things. And I think that same thing applies to, you know, to filmmakers that that there's so much to be said right now. Um, And I I love that that that's coming through in film. I think I answered your question. I'm a little. little I I think um, I think that's all. What I think that's what I hope for out of an event like this is that I want to go to something where I'm getting a fresh perspective. I'm getting a perspective that might be in in some ways politically dangerous in a sense, um, because especially in film, you know, female perspectives and female, you know, they're they're commodified in a sense. We could talk uh, endlessly for days about. feminist film theory and ideas like the male gaze and um how you know whether or not having a a woman behind the camera mitigates that and when it does how does it do that it's such a it it is a multi-dimensional multi-faceted thing and at the end of the day i just need something new because i'm tired of the same old narratives um that i'm seeing again and again and again and it's nice to know that with the midwest independent film festival it's so it's an incubator of sorts where these people can get together talk meet collaborate and then if they get poached by la you know it does suck we tried to keep you we tried yeah Yeah. but but that means that maybe (laughs) finally when i watch a marvel studios film in 2045 right right. i'm i you know i might be on my deathbed (laughs) watching ant-man 8 but (laughs) it's told from an interesting perspective and at least they're doing something new with the form yeah uh the midwest independent film festival it's year round. It is. It's, it's always round. going on. It's the first Tuesday of every month. In July, we partner with the city, which we did. Um, I had two days to get myself ready for that. So that announcement <laughs> went out that I had the job. And then two days later, uh, we did uh, an event. We did a screening of High Fidelity at Pritzker Pavilion, which was very cool. I've sat on that lawn and looked at that um, stage. And as you know, I you know broadcast and nothing is shy about me. But walking mm-hmm. out on the stage of Pritzker Pavilion, I was like, oh, my Lord, there yeah, are a lot of happen- people here. This is a real <laughs> thing that's happening. OK, don't say anything idiotic. Great. Yeah. But that was cool to, you know, I, I came out and I, I only had a couple seconds really to talk. And I just said, you know, we've done a great job of establishing very deep Chicago roots. And now I want to really double down on the effort to make sure it is the People's Festival of the Midwest. And so that how that's manifested so far is I've been very slowly because there's a lot of them, which is cool, reaching out to a lot of different film festivals around the Midwest. And there's some really cool ones. There's a lot of really specific film festivals that are emerging around very specific things like dance and music and all this cool stuff. And just saying, like, how can we help each other kick ass and win? It, it, does that mean, you know, when I find a film that has to do with your really specific thing, like, you know, the skateboarding film festival, if I find a skateboard film, I'll let you know who that filmmaker is so you can reach out to them. But likewise, if you see something very awesome made by a Midwestern filmmaker, let us know and let's, you know, let's help each other win. I think there's a lot of stuff to do there with with, um, you know, community building and making the festival accessible and known in every neighborhood of Chicago and every part of the Midwest, because there's beautiful films coming out of 
all over the place, cities and rural spaces and and a lot of different neighborhoods and a lot of different filmmakers. And and the the bar to making a beautiful film is different now. I mean, we saw that with Tangerine, who it was shot on an iPhone 6S, right? 5S. 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 There you go. My God. Even credier, right? (laughs) Like a 5S, right? We saw and I think a lot of people went, well, hold up. Wait a minute. Right. So, you know, people are making beautiful things and you no longer Sure, beautiful equipment matters and qualified people running that equipment matters, but you can make a completely viable and beautiful piece of art without spending, you know, bajillions of dollars to do so. And and I think that's just a really interesting time. Yeah, the gatekeepers starting to disappear. Yep. And we can start having a lot more collaborative discussions about film. Uh, Amy Guth, executive director of the Midwest Independent Film Festival. You can follow the Midwest Independent Film Festival at Midwest Film on Twitter and Facebook. And Instagram. And Instagram. Uh, where can people follow you, Amy? I'm at Amy Guth on every platform there is. I mean, but if you follow me on Instagram, it's like there's not a lot of film stuff. It's mostly like yoga and flowers. <laughs> but sure. But probably better than film, if you ask me. <laughs> better than film. One day, maybe there's a yoga film in me. I don't know. <laughs> But it's all like, here's this yoga pose. Here's this beautiful flower that I grew. Oh, look, it's my neighbor's dog. Here, like That's my Instagram. <laughs> Fantastic. Amy, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We really appreciate it. And we will see you at the Female Filmmakers Night. Again, that's on August 7th. It's a Tuesday. You need to go reserve your tickets now because it is going to fill up. It is the Female Filmmaker event of the season. It is one of the film events of the season bar none uh we'll be right back in a second we're going to be doing our first episode our first edition of the no coast board of review and we're going to be talking with matt Sapola about all the movies that came out in july the ones that rocked the ones that didn't and everything in between stick around Welcome, everyone, to the first edition of the No Coast Board of Review. I am your board chairman, Tom Hush. I'm your board panelist, Connor Cornelius. And uh, joining us for the first edition is one of my favorite film critics. He is so insightful, and I love reading his stuff. You can catch it all on filmmonthly.com. It's Matt Cipolla. Hi. Uh, First time in studio, as we mentioned. Um, We're so glad that we don't have to do this over the phone because... Uh, one, you know, talking over the phone, it's nice, but I like to have, I want to see your reactions right. to things, but also, uh, love, love the timbre of your voice. Oh God. <laughs> it's made, it's made for podcast. It's made for radio. Okay. Don't, <laughs> don't sell yourself short. He's got beautiful words and a beautiful voice. Um, that aside, uh, we're going to be talking about some of the films that came out here this Jan or talking about some of the films that came out this july July. uh lots of stuff i am i i gotta say let's let's just uh say this right now i was not super impressed with july as a month for film are you ever though i mean i feel like the summer is always kind of a burner there's like a couple good fun action movies or blockbusters that'll come out and you'll see a couple times and then never again but i feel like for the most part the summer is sort of the summer season is just sort of like that right yeah, I mean, yes, and Matt, how do you how do you usually feel about the summer movie season? I guess. I mean, I feel like August is more of a, even more of a dead month. Yeah. I mean, so don't get too shitty about it yet. Yeah. Just wait <laughs> just until wait. next time. Because, <laughs> I mean, other than 
yeah, August is usually a, a wild card, and I, totally. other than Black Klansmen, I don't know what else there is to mm-hmm. keep an eye out for. It's it's odd because you know for you know decades after you if we really want to trace it back to what everybody says is kind of the beginning of the summer movie blockbuster jaws mm-hmm. which was i want to say 19, was that 75 i want to say 1975 um the summer was a dumping ground before that you know historically speaking the summer was not considered when great films came out or like when people went to the movies because everybody was outside and stuff and doing whatever but then you get jaws and jaws kind of changes the game that comes out over the summer and becomes this massive hit and people you know executives realize oh we can give people something to do in the summer all the kids have nothing else to do they're not in school so they can just come see all these movies and we get the birth of the summer blockbuster right and I think we're really starting to come around a little bit back to the summer is a dumping ground um, in in some ways. All the big Marvel movies, right. Avengers Infinity War came out in May. That was April. That was, oh my God, yeah. it was April. I remember because they moved it up a week and then yeah. everyone's yep. like, ooh, it's April 27th. Yeah, it came out in April. Um, even another heavy hitter, Deadpool 2. Um, yeah, that was May. That was May. Everything's coming out right at the beginning of the summer and then staying in theaters for eight weeks. Yeah, staying in theaters for eight weeks. It's the same movie and then really nothing um, and in terms of those big blockbuster films. Obviously, we've seen some smaller films that have come out uh, that have either you know come out for the first time just in straight wide release or finally gotten their wide release after being on the festival circuit. And that is one thing about this month that I think has actually been really promising is that the smaller independent films that have come out like 8th Grade and Sorry to Bother You. I haven't actually seen either of those yet, but they're mm-hmm. both movies that I want to see a thousand times over more than I want to see like Ant-Man 2. Yeah. or Mama Mia Sicario to Dia del It's not even Dia del. It's Day of the Soldado. Day of the Salsa. Day of the Salsa. Day of the Soldier. I can't take credit for that. That was one of my friends who said that. No, no worries. All right, so let's let's start with um, some of the highlights of this month, Matt. Sure. Uh, let's let's talk about. I really want to start off with "Sorry to Bother You." Yeah, sure. Um, so this is a nutty movie, and I don't know how much you can say because there's surprisingly a lot more. Uh, if I, the trailer is probably the first third of the movie or so, it's actually really refreshing. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, I did get the chance to see it. Okay, yeah, this is nutty, and this is it's wild. Yeah, and what the amount of surrealism that it goes to, and just how batshit it becomes. Reminded me of when I saw Mother for the first time. Yes. Because, and it's not as disturbing as Mother or as angry, but it's just so unleashed and so bizarre, and it transforms into this weird, like, bits of it reminded me of Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Parts of it. There's there's (laughs) one very specific, there's one specific (laughs) reference to Michelle Gondry. Yeah. That they, like, that's in the pretext. Um it's just a really sharp the, no actually what i really like about it is that it's intentionally not super sharp as a satire and this is going to sound super pretentious but i've seen this <laughs> elsewhere so i don't feel as bad about it but it reminds me of like early john luke godard films where they're just so balls to the wall that there's so much going on and there's such a passion behind it that that redeems it of its messiness yeah because i really don't mind i don't think it was as messy as there isn't like the undercurrent of people who didn't love it mm-hmm. um had had issues with how off the rails it goes but i like that 
because yes. that felt ter- that felt telegraphed. Yes, um, totally. Because there's right from the beginning, there's this is very clearly established as an alternate reality version of Oakland as opposed to taking place in our reality. It's it starts off with you know sprinkles of fantasy throughout, and then by the end of it, you're just in a parallel universe. Yeah, you're just in a totally different world and i love that comparison i i don't think it is pretentious to compare it to godard because it it has that same kind of um new wave ethos of just like the rules don't matter yeah like he's going boots riley approaches this film in a way where he's trying to focus on the the emotion of what's going on he's trying to communicate to you a lot of ideas through an a, a a funny and absurd but also pretty serious lens at times even though it has kind of gone into a realm of absurdity and it re- it reminded me at times of watching breathless for the first time when you have those hard cuts and like they'll just randomly talk to randomly talk to the camera and like follow these threads that don't really go anywhere and things don't make sense they break all these perceived rules of filmmaking but the effect is so much greater than all of that and um i was i was so entertained watching sorry to bother you and there were so many scenes that i can't get out of my head like when they ask when they ask him to rap Oh yeah, that that's a cringe is, fest. It is a cringe fest, but like think of what that says for yeah. says to the audience. It's like look at like that is Boots Riley straight up turning to and I'll say the white people in the audience yeah. and being like look at yourselves. Yeah. This is how we this is how we see you in yeah. a lot of ways. Um I don't want to get. I, I mean, it's such an amazing scene, Connor. I don't want to give it away. No, but I basically, know. they uh, Army Hammer gets Lakeith Stanfield's character to to rap, and it just sounds. He's like just like, the... he keeps telling him, like, dude, I don't rap. Like this whole thing, like, I know, I get it. I'm black. I don't. That doesn't mean I rap. All this kind of stuff, and then what ends up happening is <laughs> horrific and funny. <laughs> And heartbreaking all at the same time. It really, it really has been the movie of the month. Yeah, me. and uh, just Tessa Thompson, so fantastic. Oh my she's, god, she's the best. She's been killing it the last like year. Yeah, because it's. I first saw her in when Dear White People about yeah. almost four years ago. Oh, I haven't seen. It's that. so that, weird. Yeah, the mo- when it was a movie yeah. in 2014, that was the first time I saw her. And it feels so weird because that feels like yesterday. Yeah, and she had that, and seen. then she had Creed, and then she had Annihilation, etc. Mm-hmm. And then she has this. Um, but yeah, it's razor sharp. Um, it feels almost like it's wrapping its arms around too much, but that's by design because it's. Yeah. It is laser focused. It's just that's lasers set to engulf the whole world and just yeah. scorch Earth. Sure. Um, is, is Boots Riley a filmmaker? This was his first movie. This is the first right? thing he's, he's done. He's a musician. He's a musician. He's a musician. Yeah, he, he, he was in the. He's from the Bay Area hip hop group The Coup. Yeah, and they had a. They had the nine eleven cover. Yeah. Do you know about this? No, I don't. So that that because that came out prior to nine eleven. I think it came out on nine eleven. Uh, yeah, because nine eleven was a Tuesday, and that's when people would release R- records on Tuesdays. And so he, because he's always been incredibly anti-establishment, and he'll just straight up say, "I'm a communist." Yeah. And so there's one of his the coup's records. the The album cover is them standing in front of the twin towers, and they're on fire. Yeah, and that like, came out on nine eleven. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah, and it's 
Yeah. And they had no idea. Exactly. And so no they're like, idea. well, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this gif of, um, if you look up Mariah Carey glitter 9-11 on, on, <laughs> if you just Google that. Those are the kinds of things that, you know. Yeah, you have <laughs> to. tag search. Yeah, because I, I saw the picture first on the Wikipedia page for glitter when I was doing my glitter research. Yeah. And uh, it's just a slow tilt up of a pil- like a billboard for glitter and then it just tilts up and it's just the twin towers burning and that's on the wikipedia page for glitter and i'm like oh my god that's eerie yeah it's under the box office section for glitter so someone put that by design well let's keep talking but i'm gonna kind of look at this real quick yeah (laughs) Um, um another high point i think of july is finally we got the uh wide release of or wider release yeah it finally came out yeah it finally came out to theaters uh eighth grade bo burnham's spectacular debut i mean this is so great that we have um the two best i think the two best movies of july are two debuts from people who don't make films and yeah. their independence as well total independence um tell i mean we've talked about eighth grade before yep but um i we can, i really can't talk enough about it because i found it to be such a spectacular um debut from a guy that has grown so much as an artist in general that it makes me so excited for him to be making more films like um tell me about you watching eighth grade have you did you see it again yeah i saw it again last sunday i saw it with my mom and it holds up remarkably well Mm -hmm. um because i the the first time i saw it was over two months ago at the chicago film fest yeah um the closing night when he was there um it holds up super well. I mean, I just the first thing is that I love how something so incredibly simple can at the same time feel so tender and also just so abrasive. Mm-hmm. And I also because I'm a person who will who processes things more on a um, an emotional level as opposed to a narrative level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I'll describe things. And I was still surprised at the second time around just how cringe inducing it is. It is remarkably uncomfortable in the best way and i get off on that and it is oh it's it's great because i think he also said in that that uh q a at the critics fest how he finds cringe to be the ultimate form of human empathy and i love that because it's so true um but the film as a whole uh like as i've said before it finds a really delicate balance between being emotionally intimate with a protagonist while also holding enough of a retrospective lens so it has just enough insight, but it's never patronizing. If anything, it's realistic to an almost hurtful degree, but it's never cruel. It's not like it would make a good double feature with Welcome to the Dollhouse, but it's not that Todd Salant's sort of cruel, like cruelty as empathy yeah. school of thought. Um, it's generally more humanistic in a traditional sense. Uh, but I also, another thing that stuck out to me on the second viewing is just how well it's made, specifically the editing. Um, it was edited by Jennifer Lilly, who direct or who edited the one I love, which is that Mark Duplass Elizabeth yes. Moss movie from yeah. a couple years back, and it what it works wonderfully. A lot of superimpositions, um, a lot of just everything has a dreamy feel when it's in the internet space, and then it, there's a lot of hard cuts and uh, handheld camera work in the real world or day to day life, but it's never noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like I saw. Don't worry, he won't get far on foot, and that was the flip side of using documentary-like filming techniques um, because that had a lot of awkward crash zooms that cut awkwardly. Um, but eighth grade, it's all seamless. And I, it's a rarity in that I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. 
there's a lot about it that I think is just I it, when it, when a movie hits you like this, it's hard to even put it into words. Um, and I think I'm going to be I'm going to be thinking about eighth grade for a while mm-hmm. now. And I, and I mean, I saw it. A, you know, I only saw it that once at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. But what an experience it was to get to see it in that in that environment and experience. It's a great movie to watch together too. Yeah, I found that to be. Uh, Similar to my experience seeing Get Out, actually, because, okay. because there was it was people weren't afraid to react. Yeah, that's why Get Out was so great. Is like people were reacting out loud, and people weren't like, "Oh my god, they're talking during the movie." People, it wants you to react. It wants you to feel it as intensely as possible, and um, to have something to talk about and something to commiserate with, in a sense. So, Eighth Grade is definitely one of the best of July. Um, it's my favorite of the year so far. Favorite of the year so far. Yeah. Wow. Right now, I'm in I'm in deep competition between that and Sorry to Bother You. Nice. Yeah. Sorry to Bother You is I think my number eight or so. Yeah. But it's especially recently, there's been a lot of really great stuff. Um, maybe you could uh, for people that haven't seen it like myself, maybe you could talk to me as like a p- prospective audience member. Why Why should I go see these movies? Go see them because they are uh, different from the norm. They're uncompromising. They're uncompromising. They will actually make you feel something. Mm-hmm. That's and, and that's the issue I have with a lot of the big blockbuster films is that they all just come out as like, yeah, these are fun. Mm-hmm. They're like you can't really complain that much about Ant Man because you're like, yeah, but like Paul Rudd's fun and like there's you know they do cool stuff. There's good gags. Yeah, but like that's just it. Like there's there's really nothing more to it. And um, that I think that's a good transition to what are some of the movies that really middled you this this month that you were just like I didn't love, I didn't hate. It just was. Yeah, it's. It, I just mentioned it, but uh, don't. Man. No, don't actually, it was going to be. Don't worry, he won't get far in foot. Really? Uh, yeah, it's it's there. I mean, it's it's funny because Gus Van Sant also edited it, but he also edited Elephant, and Elephant is amazing. Yeah, Elephant's a totally different movie, and that movie is disturbing as hell. But, sure. Um, it's it's odd. In its tonal shifts, because it's the type of movie that replicates the the sardonic mindset of its protagonist, played by Joaquin Phoenix. But in the process, it kind of undermines its own emotional current, and mm. there's a flippancy to how it treats a lot of its content. Whereas it's so to the where it gets to the point that it's not entirely clear um, what's consequential and what's inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the main thing was also there there are parts that seem just unnecessary. I mean he. He structured it so the first 20 minutes or so are um, non-chronological, but without a real purpose. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it was just done to be, quote-unquote, different. Yeah. Um, there are, uh, I mean, like, I there are aspects that I appreciate. Like, the, the humor is so deadpan that it blurs the line between comedy and tragedy. And I think there is a self-awareness between... Uh, the character and the film itself knowing that this protagonist's life is almost a parody of an inspirational story and that he has mommy issues he is an orphan he's an alcoholic and he's paralyzed yeah and so when you put all those together he's just sort of like okay fuck it um there's almost like a say la vie aspect to all of it but i don't it it almost consumes itself it's too much in its own head Mm -hmm. at points 
And just so I'll, I'll get all the details out there. So um, this is Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, directed by Gus Van Zandt, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Jonah Hill, Rudy Mara, Jack Black. And it's based on the autobiography of cartoonist John Callahan, who was quite famous for his very off-color, very like kind of naughty uh, newspaper cartoons that you either kind of loved or hated. Um, and he was in, he was in like a car accident that yeah, left he was him an, a- Yeah, he was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and he, one day in the, or in the movie at least, uh, he's with Jack Black's character and they both are especially smashed and Jack Black has a couple scrapes and then he is paralyzed. Yeah, he's a quadriplegic, correct? Yeah, or, I guess you could call it that. He can move his arms a bit. He moves his arms a bit. So, and he finds, he finds his comfort in being in a, uh, and being a cartoonist yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So he middling. finds cartooning through the after the accident. I think prior I th- to or like that's I have, I have not seen this one, but um I think he was a a cartoonist prior to. Okay. And then he become well either he, at the end of the day he's a cartoonist afterward and like the whole being a you know a quadruple being paralyzed to a certain extent like informs who he is right. like he was he was really popular i want to say portland takes place in portland well he was from oregon but then he would spend his time in los angeles mm-hmm. um but yeah he was popular he also created that really short-lived nickelodeon show pelswick about the kid in the wheelchair that remember oh, that from like 2000 2002 wow yeah because i was i was thinking about that that's odd yeah um he created that show um so he was well known. He died in 2010. Right. Um, it's like some people fine. really didn't like him. Yeah. Some people yeah. were appalled by him and they touch on that in the movie, but it's sort of fleeting. It's yeah, it's a very oddly paced movie. I mean, there's one point that I'm not going to spoil, but uh, one character drops some like a, a total bombshell about another character that is nothing less than monumental within the context of their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it's delivered like a throwaway line. And then the movie ends, like, two minutes later. Good lord. Yeah, so I'm like, I don't... Uh, you're kind of... Untr- I don't know. Yeah. So, we'll... I mean, I'm t- I'll give it a shot because I am a Gus Van Sant yeah, sure. person. Um, I've been in love with him since I saw uh, My Own Private Idaho, sure. which is, like, super great. But it's... You know, I'll, I'll go into it with tempered expectations. Just kind of take it as it is. See what we can get out of it. Um, some of the other big releases of this month, Ant-Man and the Wasp, middle middling sure i mean it's uh a it's, it's a cartoon stretched out to a feature length and that's two-hour comedy yeah <laughs> and it's fine that it's a comedy but it's also a comedy mo- comedy should not be two hours mm-hmm. um judd apatow but <laughs> i mean it's there's a and there's an undeniable you know there's chemistry. levity yeah, to levity points in it but it's not something that's entirely worthy i mean it's um I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer's in it for a bit. She's more of the plot motivation. She doesn't really get much much stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of really nice little seeds, but they never really germinate. And it's just one of those things where I'm thinking, if you had a couple more passes at the script, you could have done something a lot more subversive here. Um, it's, I mean, sure. It's okay. Yeah. It's that's Marvel. A, it's another one that's if, that feels pretty inconsequential. And it's, But it is something I like more, because the thing about the MCU as a whole is... If you're already into it, you're going to get more and more into it. If you're not into it, you're going to get further away from it. I fall into the latter category. Yeah. So these more one-off episodes, so to speak, um, are more engaging to me. Yeah, because you don't have to be um, versed in like you know ten years of 
fucking film continuity. Yeah, like, yeah, that sort of thing. And on top of that, it's, I mean, you can you can take it with a grain of salt or more if you want to. It's not like Infinity War where um, there it's ostensibly everything is everything that happens is the end all be all despite the fact that they've already announced several more movies yeah. so i can't really take, undercutting their own yeah so i can't marketing. yeah so i can't really take the finality of it yeah um it actually takes place during the events of infinity war okay so that's how they kind of get away with with doing him sort of not thing. being in that movie yeah uh mama mia here we go again didn't see it yet oh no, no wonder yeah um, <laughs> i will i i kind of want to i'll i'll give it up i'll i'll give it a shot i hated the original mama mia it's getting really good reviews i'll say it's that like better than the first one yeah like i think they kind of realized that they need to lean into how fucking stupid this is i'm sorry like and i'm a i'm an abba fan mama i love mia. ABBA, but like i i have always been the largest opponent of uh jukebox musicals i think they're stupid i think that and and this is from a kid uh, to be fair the one exception i make is for across the universe and that's because i think they actually tried to do something a little more visually interested with it but even as i watch that now i'm just like oh it's so cringy because they're just trying to shoehorn all this beetle shit (laughs) into it there's no story yeah like i mean there there is but they're just like oh get it his name's jude like the song and like um all this stuff i th- i i've never really liked jukebox musicals because it's just an excuse to license music that people already like yeah i mean if it's it works on a smaller level like i think a really <coughs> this is the most random thing but when i was doing a semester in la this past spring semester um <laughs> there was uh an unofficial jennifer's body musical stage production oh well I'll, that sounds dude, like that fun. was amazing that's cool speaking of uh, things that relate to amanda seyfried jennifer's body amazing movie i'll stand up yeah. for it that movie is hilarious i love that movie <laughs> um but that they made that into a jukebox musical with mid to late 2000s hits really yeah dude, that's it was, fucking it was hilarious because they like when the woman who played jennifer came on stage they sang man eater by nelly furtado um mm. what else is in it um teenage dirtbag all the things she said Jeez. it was great it was hilarious well i feel that 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 seems subversive it was at the yeah, very exactly. least like yeah. this is and maybe that's what they realize with mama mia too is that they're just like we can't just take it so seriously because it is kind yeah. of on its on its face very silly yeah so um that's okay uh july 4th the first purge this <laughs> To be fair, I think it's a franchise that gets a little bit better every time. Like, they're just like, at least they lean into exactly what they're doing. But it's Blumhouse. It's not like Saw. Yeah. I I mean, okay, the funny thing about the first Purge is that, and when I say the first Purge, I'm referring to the fourth Purge. Yeah. The The (laughs) thing about the first Purge is that for its first half hour or so, it's probably the closest to its social commentary aspirations as it's ever tried to be for the franchise. Yeah. Um, and then once people start purging, it just takes a dive into tedium. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because it's the actors are way better than the actors for a purge movie have any right to be. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually really charismatic and have a really good lived-in chemistry. And But the thing is, once it gets into the social commentary, it's, its political illusions are only apparent when they're super obvious. Mm-hmm. And they, there's just like a, a crumminess that runs throughout it, but it's not in like a satirical way. It's pretty self-serious. And so you just kind of feel dirty. Yeah. Like there's one, uh, there's one plot point, like 
um, there's one point where a guy pops out of the sewer and grabs the female lead and starts sexually assaulting her, and then she gets mm-hmm. away and then kicks him into a drain, and then she goes, pussy grabbing motherfucker, and I'm like, ugh, get it. Yeah, right. It's like all the, it's like, get it, Trump. And then, um, yeah, and then um, there was, they have an allusion to Charleston, like they have to have white supremacists shoot up a historically black church, Yeah, and then they kind of use that as like a, a, a beat change just to go from A to B, and then they kind of ignore that, and it's just a mess. Yeah, instead of being... Like this is this is the kind of stuff that could be in the right hands. It could be kind of funny, yeah. But they take it so seriously, yeah. And it's, and they think it makes them politically aware. But in the end, it's just like, are you co opting these events so that you can make a fucking horror movie? Yeah, because like, if if you put the positives of all of these four movies together, you can make one great movie. But all of that greatness is diluted to twenty five percent. Yeah, so you just get stuff that ranges from mediocre to awful i thought the third movie was terrible yeah that was really bad not a big fan yeah um what was the worst movie you saw this month in terms of one that was released Mm -hmm. (sighs) unfriended dark web (laughs) Uh, when they when they announced that sequel i'm like wait really yeah and it's not really a sequel it's it's totally divorced from the first movie it's not even supernatural uh oh yeah isn't it like um, because it's about the dark web is it just is it just somebody scrolling through the dark web and like hiring a hitman to kill them well the setup is that this guy uh named mateus has got uh he he got a new quote-unquote new laptop off of craigslist but um so he's it's he's making an app that'll help him communicate better with his deaf girlfriend um, which I'm like, I don't believe that you can program this app at all, <laughs> but also everyone types really fast. Um, but there was, yeah, I was like, I just heard something. It's the dark web. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, oh no. Hold on. Let me just load up this program that I've been working on. Yeah. Oh God. So, and then I, I'm guessing that people just start getting picked off. On yeah. It's, it's I mean, basically, he realizes that he starts getting these strange messages on uh, his Facebook chat. Mm -hmm. Um, From the dark web? Yeah, from the dark web. And then they disappear after a while. And then it's this whole conspiracy that starts unfolding. Um, And the thing is that none of it is supernatural. So it all ostensibly takes place in our reality. So that makes it infinitely harder to take. And it's funny because they also they released it with two endings. Kind of like Clue. Um, so they're yeah. playing them at random um, in theaters. Apparently, what like I went on Wikipedia afterwards, and apparently, what I got was the quote unquote original ending instead of the alternate ending. Yeah, but I read both of them, and they both don't really matter. So you can just sort of tell that they didn't really have a clear endpoint, and so they're like, "Yeah, we'll just put two endings." It yeah, exactly. Um, there are some points that are just so stupid that they're hilarious. I mean, you <laughs> might be able to hate watch it, but it's not. It's. I don't think it has enough redeeming qualities to, to even be that. Yeah, it sounds just boring. If there's no, not even a supernatural element to it, then there's just no real. Like... Yeah, and it, what's the funniest thing is that for maybe for a little while I thought that it was okay, um, but then you realize that it's not until 35 minutes or so that the movie actually starts, and everything before that was just filler. So what you thought was okay was completely pointless. And then when the movie actually starts, the movie is awful. How is it about hour and a half long? 
Yeah, sure. So it's just it's so basically they had an hour worth of actual movie plot like things that will happen, but then they were just like, well, it needs to be at least ninety minutes. Yeah, and it so was, they just had half or the front end. Yeah, and that's is also but it's actually good. Yeah, and <laughs> this is yeah, and that's the funny thing is this is also a good segue to Equalizer two, which yeah. I also just saw. That's another movie where the first forty minutes don't do anything, and that movie is incredibly stretched out, and it's written by, it's written by the guy who wrote the first equalizer movie um and it's also directed by antoine fuqua but that's a movie that's incredibly contrived and it's it's what's funny about that is with the equalizer 2 uh the last half hour or so the the big climactic fight is actually pretty decent Mm -hmm. and it's really atmospheric and it takes place with a, like a hurricane is coming and so it takes place in rain and fog Mm -hmm. um and that's decently interesting but it's also Everything before that is just so messy and flippant that it also ha- it tries to have some sort of moral core that teaches you about the importance of life, but then it just pulls a handgun out on whatever importance there is. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, and I find it funny because the equalizer seem the equalizer seems like kind of a, a parallel in a sense or close to Mission Impossible because we're talking about an act, uh, per, you know, what's they want to become an action franchise. It looks like I didn't think the first one even warranted, warranted a sequel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a property based on an old TV show. Yeah. They bring in a, you know, a star, although they kind of mixed in that taken thing. We're like, let's get a grizzled kind of guy. Let's get a guy who's been around the block. So they get Denzel. Yeah. And um, they're just going to make this into a franchise. Four? Yeah. Who Four knows? more. Who knows? Uh, which is funny because the Mission Impossible franchise, and we're running out of time real quick, but I just want to say, uh, so none of us have seen Fallout. No one has, nope. no one's seen MI. Nope. Nope. Mission Impossible Fallout um personally i love the mission impossible series i think they're great except for maybe two but that's you know yet one really bad one i mean you have you have a series of movies that are at their at least at their very core pretty fucking entertaining with um some really big names attached to it the first one was directed by brian de palma and it plays like kind of the anti James Bond. Like everything is kind of grittier. Uh, it makes being a spy look really hard and difficult and like not fun at all. <laughs> People talk about how Casino Royale like did that for the Bond franchise. I mean, yeah. Mission Impossible did that for spies in 1996, if you ask me. Because Tom Cruise is just getting thrown through the ringer. Everybody is getting killed off he's almost running, immediately. He's running everywhere, he's constantly running. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought it was a really interesting take on the spy genre. The plot was not fantastic. It's a little convoluted, but you get all this kind of cool stuff. And uh, Mission Impossible 2, directed by John Woo, looks and sounds like it was directed by John Woo. Not so great. Mission Impossible 3, J.J. Abrams basically yep. makes a big-budget version of Alias, but with Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, Philip Seymour Hoffman as the villain. Yep. Really great. Yeah. Really not too bad at all. And then, but people thought the franchise was going to peter out. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol comes out, directed by Brad Bird, saves the franchise out of nowhere. That one was really fun. Rogue Nation was really fun. Super fun. They add Simon Pegg. And it has this, and it has now this whole thing of like, oh, watch Tom Cruise do impossibly, like, do so dangerous stunts, like, such dangerous things that he realistically should not be doing based on his 
you know, age. qualification and yeah. age. But n- meanwhile, here's Rogue Nation. He's literally hanging off a plane as he's ta- as it's taking off. Have you? That's seen, an actual plane. Have you seen the clip from this most recent movie where he just straight up like shatters his ankle against a wall? No, have you seen that? I know that he did it. But are, are, do you fe- do you have positive feelings towards this franchise? Yeah, I'm hoping for. I'm hoping to. I'm expecting to like this. The next one, I try to go in as blank as possible. But I mean, I've heard surprisingly good things. yeah super spectacular it's sitting at like a 95 on rotten tomatoes which i'm you gotta take it with a grain of salt but right yeah um yeah i'm de- definitely excited for that looks to be one of the the saving graces of july in terms of blockbusters right because we do have sorry to bother you we do have eighth grade to fall back on as like actually really great filmmaking well not to say that mission possible does not you employ really great filmmaking it's just a different type it's more spectacle but it's maybe more what you want from a summer movie as mission impossible um so sorry to wrap it up so quick but uh there it is the no coast border review um you can check this out all over at wgmradio.com. Um, Matt, where can people find you on social media and where can people read your reviews? Uh, you can read my reviews at filmmonthly.com. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Cipolla Matt. That's just C I P O L L A M A T T. I'm also on Instagram and Letterboxd, uh, etc. If you want to find me on Facebook, go for it. I don't know why you would. <laughs> um, less, less reviews there? I mean, I, I plug everything every, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's it's mostly, you'll mostly find me on, on Twitter. All right. And it's a great, it's a great Twitter. You're constantly talking about the stuff you're watching. And honestly, I found myself like, well, if Matt's watching this, I better, better rewatch this better or maybe it. watch it for the first time. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure we'll see you again very, very soon here on the board of review. Uh, Connor, another week in the bag. We've done it. We did it. My God. <laughs> You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. Uh, thank you again to Amy Guth for coming in and talking about the Female Filmmaker Night. Again, that's August 7th coming up. Uh, I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we will see you all next time.